0: Good morning, New Providence, and good morning, New Community. Man, I can't tell you how excited I am to be able to say that for the very first time. This is a fantastic day as we welcome New Community as our worship site in Garwood and I I hope you're having a good time down there this morning and I hope that you sense God's presence among you as as you worship together. It's so great that God has finally brought this dream into reality for us as we kind of stretch out beyond the confines of our little real estate here in New Providence and that we're able to embrace the use of audio and and video technology as ministry tools that allow us to, to, to extend our reach and our impact for Christ. You know, that makes us different than about 99% of all the other churches around us, and I'm, I'm so proud of all our people who are willing to, to take risks and to overcome obstacles and criticism and to really to venture into uncharted territory and launching a ministry like New Community. And why do we do it? We do it because we care about people and Christ, and we want to see those two things come together. And in thinking about connecting people and God, there's no better way to, to talk about that than to think about the idea of hope in a person's life. Hope. I mean, hope is such a powerful word. It's, a, it's an emotive word that, is, that has this ability to resonate deep within the human heart. I mean, hope. Everybody needs hope. Hope. And at first I was hesitant to even get into what the Bible has to say about hope because that word has been overused by so many different advertisers and marketers who want to sell you stuff or by groups that want to manipulate you or gain your support. And especially the word hope has become sort of a political football this year being tossed around by our politicians. I mean, you either voted for hope and change or you're hoping for a change in this election, right? But hope is too important a word For us to ignore, because everybody needs hope. Now, at first glance, it's important to realize that the way people commonly use the word hope is radically different than how the Bible talks about hope. Hope is, for most people, it's kind of an uncertain word. Uh, When you plan a cookout or you invite some friends over, you say, Well, I hope it doesn't rain. Hope is used to describe sort of the uncertainty of a future event. I I hope I get that job. I hope she calls me back. I hope my car doesn't run out of gas. Hope is tied to something that we're not really sure about. We want it to happen, but it could go either way. It's a desire we have, an expectation, a dream, a preferred future perhaps, but it could just be wishful thinking on our part. It's uncertain. In some ways, this kind of hope is almost a weak word because there's always disappointment kind of lurking right around the corner. It might not happen, so don't get your hopes up. When the Bible speaks of hope, it's talking about something very very different than that, than just wanting something to happen or just desiring something to be true. In the Bible, hope is an assurance. It's a it's a confidence, a, a certainty. It's the exact opposite of wishful thinking. It's something with a with an absolute airtight guarantee. Something guaranteed by God himself. That's biblical hope. You see, we believe that at the center of all things is a creator God who loves. A God who loves us like Jesus said he does personally and passionately. And then it makes sense that this God would communicate with us about important things such as, such as hope. And Christians believe that God does that through the words of the Bible. That's why we take the Bible so seriously. We believe it's God's word to us. So we look at it to discover a truth about God, but also truth about ourselves. And there's no better place to look at this topic of hope than in the New Testament book of 1 Peter, where hope is sort of woven throughout every chapter. This part of the Bible was written by one of Jesus' closest disciples, the Apostle Peter. He was that arrogant, kind of impetuous disciple whose, whose faith really rose out of the ashes of his own personal failures. Peter wrote the letter, uh, wrote it as a letter that was circulated to groups of followers of Jesus about 30 years after Christ's death and resurrection. In those first 30 years, the church had experienced exponential growth. Uh, reaching throughout the entire ancient Roman Empire, all the way to the capital of Rome itself. But early historians like Tacitus and Severus tell us that that's when things took kind of a dark turn On July 19th of the year 64 AD, a huge fire broke out in the city of Rome. The entire city was engulfed in flames for three days and three nights. Hundreds and hundreds of public buildings were burned to the ground. Thousands upon thousands of people lost their homes and and all their possessions and there was no Red Cross to help them get back on their feet. Many of their cherished temples and and landmarks just vanished into ashes, and and smoke just blackened the city. Historians have concluded that the emperor Nero intentionally had the fire set to destroy the slums of Rome and to give him room to kind of build monuments and and palaces that he thought would kind of establish his name in history. It was his version of, of urban renewal, but the fire got out of control. And it devastated the city and the people of Rome were so traumatized by the fire that they were ready to revolt against him. There were riots starting in the streets. And so Nero quickly looked for a scapegoat that he could blame. Imagine that from a politician, blaming a tragedy on the wrong people so he wouldn't have to take the heat. Well, there was this new group called Christians and they were ripe to take the fall. They followed a man named Jesus who claimed to be a king. They wouldn't bow down and worship the emperor as a god. And well, Nero didn't like that. And there were rumors already kind of circulating, flying around, that these Christians were were cannibals. Because in their worship, they talked about eating a man's flesh and drinking his blood. I mean, how sick is that? So Nero started the rumor that the Christians had burned down Rome. And he began the very first serious persecution of Christians. Nero had Christians arrested, dipped in tar, and set on fire to light his garden parties. Christians were tied to chariots and dragged through the streets of Rome until they were dead. They were thrown to lions and torn to shreds by packs of dogs in the Colosseum for sport. And this persecution started to spread out from Rome to other cities. It was really kind of a religious ethnic cleansing. So Christians had to run for their lives. As as refugees, they escaped to what is now modern-day Turkey. And Peter wrote this letter to these terrified Christians and had the audacity to use the word hope. I mean, we think we have problems and wonder what kind of hope we have in life. None of us would trade our situation for what these people were going through. And yet his words about hope made sense to them. They experienced hope in a very hard world. Let me read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus Galatia Cappadocia Asia and Bithynia who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ sprinkled with his blood grace and peace be yours in abundance praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept for you in heaven, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Peter talks about a living hope, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What is that kind of hope all about? Well, to get a handle on it, we first need to kind of look at what hope is just from a, a purely human kind of secular point of view. What is hope in daily life? How do you know that you've got any hope in your life? What does, what does hope feel like? Well, the best way I can understand it is to, is to use this little ball. This is called a, a Hoberman sphere. Maybe some of you have seen this kind of thing before. The largest Hoberman sphere is just a few miles away from us at the Liberty Science Center in New Jersey. It expands and contracts with ease. Expands and contracts with ease. And so I want you to think of this as your personal world. When a person has hope, it feels like your world is getting bigger. It feels like your world is expanding, it's growing larger. That's what hope feels like in a person's life. You have something to look forward to, you, you see a positive future for yourself. And that fact that your world is growing kind of releases a sense of energy, a sense of confidence, a sense of strength into your life. Hope releases all of that into your life because you sense your life is getting bigger your emotions are positive and healthy. You have a sense of purpose. You feel positive about yourself. You, you feel like you're, you're part of something larger than yourself. You're connected with people. You see opportunities and options, and you're able to be flexible in how you respond to them. I mean, life isn't perfect as your world is growing. Life isn't perfect, but you can roll with the punches, a- and hope kind of pulls you forward You're able to endure the pains and the stressors of the day because you believe there's a greater good coming your way. Hope feels like your world is getting larger. Now, without hope, it feels like your world is shrinking. It feels like your world is getting smaller. You have little or nothing to look forward to. You don't see a positive future for yourself, just more of the same or worse You have little confidence, little strength, no larger purpose for your life, and so you feel disconnected, alone, isolated, lots of negative emotions swirling around. You don't like yourself much, and you don't like other people much either. And you don't see any options, any good way out. You're sort of in a hole and kind of stuck there. Your world is getting smaller. When problems come, you can't bend without breaking. You get rigid in in how you respond to things. Instead of rolling with the punches, you kind of feel like you're the world's punching bag. You're not moving forward. You kind of stop dead in your tracks. That's what it feels like if your world is getting smaller. That's what it feels like if you don't have any hope. So just from a purely human kind of psychological point of view, everyone needs hope. Hope makes all the difference in the world. Take, for example, children who are, who are struggling in school. What does it take to turn a kid around and help them to do better in school? Well, you may know the story of the self-made millionaire, Eugene Land. Back in 1981, he was asked to speak to the class of a, a sixth-grade graduating class of PS 121, the elementary school that he attended in East Harlem 50 years earlier. And he was going to give that typical kind of pep talk and tell them, you know, work hard and you'll succeed. But on the way to the podium, the principal whispered to him that three quarters of the students that he was going to be speaking to would probably never even finish high school. And that shook him up. I mean, what could he say that could make a difference in the lives of these children who who seem so destined to failure, just to kind of dropping out of school And so he scrapped his notes and he decided just to speak from his heart. And he said, stay in school and I'll help pay your college tuition for every one of you. And that wasn't an empty promise. You know what happened? Nearly 90% of those students graduated from high school. 60% went on to college or some other kind of advanced technical school. Why? I mean, what changed so that they could beat all the odds? Uh, the, the, The school was the same. The textbooks were the same. The teachers were the same. Their neighborhoods were the same. The families were the same. What changed? Well, they saw their world getting larger. They had hope now. They saw an opportunity that wasn't there before. One student said it this way. I had something to look forward to, something waiting for me. It was a golden feeling. Isn't that great? That's the power of hope. Dr. Jerome Groopman of the Harvard Medical School saw the impact of hope in his patients, especially the ones who were diagnosed with a serious disease. He wrote a book called The Anatomy of Hope, How People Prevail in the Face of Illness. And he said that patients who had hope responded better to treatment. And I quote, that hope was what was important to them as anything that he might describe as a physician. Dr. Groupman defines hope as the ability to see a path to the future. You're facing dire circumstances and you need to know everything that's blocking and threatening you and then you see a path or a potential path to get to where you want to be. And once you see that, there's a tremendous emotional uplift that occurs. I think hope has been and always will be the heart of medicine and healing. We could not live without hope, unquote. That's the power of hope. But here's the problem. If we're just experiencing hope in this kind of human level, then it's like every day we're juggling all these little balls of of hope and disappointment. Some days things are going well, you see a future for yourself, maybe you're at work. You see a future for yourself there on your job and you feel like, okay, that world is really expanding but then you get home at night and there's, there's tension in your marriage or tension in your family or, or just tension in your circle of relationships and that world really shrinks and, and how do those two things balance out in terms of your feelings of hope? How do those things work out? Or maybe at school you've worked really hard, you're doing well, you've improving your studies, and then you take your SATs and you bomb, and that just kind of bun- punches a hole in your academic world, and it starts shrinking again. How do you find hope there? How do you stay motivated? Well, we could go on and on talking about all the little kind of balls that we juggle of hope, some that expand and some that, that contract every single day. We do this hundreds of times every single day in various circumstances with various people. In some places, we feel like our world's getting bigger and then we turn the corner and we feel like everything is shutting down again. We all need hope, but if juggling all these little spheres of hope, if that's the sum total of where our hope comes from, then our future is uncertain. So here's what the living hope in Jesus is all about. There's a hope that's larger than all of our little spheres of hope put together. Jesus, risen from the dead, shows that there's a certainty that we can kind of tap into that supersedes all the other little spheres of our expanding and contracting hopes and disappointments. Jesus is the one who is bigger than death, who is stronger than all suffering. And when we finally recognize who Jesus is and the power that he possesses, then we can kind of like take all our little expanding hopes and disappointments and we kind of put them inside his bigger orb of hope. I put my life inside Jesus' life. I take my smaller, uncertain human hopes and disappointments and I see them surrounded or enveloped or, or contained by this great larger certainty, which is the hope of Jesus. This is the hope guaranteed by God himself. And that's good news because it means life doesn't depend solely on on my daily experience of my contracting and expanding hopes. Your life is surrounded by the greater hope of Christ. So that's the atmosphere that you breathe, it's sort of the the ocean in which you swim. His hope is kind of that wind that fills our sails. That's the way you and I can experience hope in a really hard world. A hope that gives people the power to persevere in hard times. That's what the people in Peter's day discovered. You see, like those ancient Christians fleeing deadly persecution, either you believe there is a future or you might as well just lay down and die. When you're going through something really difficult like, like persecution or a job layoff or a medical crisis You can't just put a smiley face sticker on that and pretend everything is okay. It's not okay. But there's a greater reality out there, a greater hope that that envelops everything that's in your world. And Christ's living hope then releases power into your life. Let me say that again. His living hope releases present power into your life. Peter says we are shielded, kept by the power of Christ and that's a here and now thing. The hope of Christ is not just about some future eternal life. I mean, that's a great part of our hope that Christ brings, but it's not the only part. Because Jesus rose from the dead and proved that he was God in the flesh, you can confidently live your life in him and follow him now. You can place your life and your soul in his hands. You can depend on his love and care. You can experience his wisdom and direction. You can move confidently through all the ups and downs of this world because you have this greater hope. You know, people are wondering what's going to happen in the world today. What's going to happen in the face of all the tensions and the pressures and possibilities of te- te- uh, terror and global financial meltdown, threats to democracy? Where's your hope today? Is it in, a, in an election? I hope that your hope is in something greater than that. I trust that your faith is in a greater hope than that. Christ is ready to meet us, yes, at the hour of our death, but he is much more than that. He is ready to meet us in the pressures of the present moment as well. Someone once said, where other people see only a hopeless end, the Christian sees an endless hope. If you don't know the greater hope in Jesus, then you're going to have to struggle all through the days and weeks and months and years that lie ahead, kind of just doing the same old thing, hoping and finding oftentimes that your hopes get crushed. Or you can place your spheres of hope and disappointment into this larger hope, which is Jesus Christ, the only hope that endures forever, a living hope, something that's available to us right now, Every day, all the time, a hope that doesn't fade away. Jesus Christ, alive from the dead, is the answer to all our broken dreams, the collapsed hopes of, of your life and mine. The pressures we feel from day to day, the sense of our failures and our inability to be able to fix things that we think need to be fixed. We place all that in Christ and we find his hope is, is secure, a greater, surer. Confident hope, the only hope that really works in a hard world. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can tap into your hope right now. It's not just about some heaven years from now, but it's about living with a sense of your grace surrounding our lives right now and being able to see that we have a future because our lives are connected to you. And knowing that, you then release power into our lives for the present and give us the ability to deal with the tensions and the pressures and the the hurts and the pains of today. And I pray, Lord, that as we continue through this series, hope would really begin to bubble up in people's hearts and they'd be able to see their lives inside your greater hope, secure and safe and confident. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.